So we're in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. We're coming through to the end of that. Um, but I want to take you back to 2012 and uh, the Olympics. Do you remember we had the Olympics here? Happy days. And um, actually, as a family, we managed to get tickets for one of the athletic sessions. And we saw Usain Bolt. It wasn't a medal event. So he was just kind of chilling as he was. He was so cool, wasn't he? Is there a cooler person in the last 10, 15 years other than Usain Bolt? It's just such a dude. And uh, so we did see Usain Bolt. But actually, the highlight of the morning was, uh, I think it was, uh, it was the women's 10,000 metres, so kind of laps and laps of the track. And um, I, I think it was an Indian runner, but it might have been Romanian. But, but basically, this woman, compared to the rest of the competitors, was not... She wasn't running as fast as them for as long, basically. And she was, like, way behind. But what happened was we love an underdog, don't we, in this country? We love an underdog. And so as this woman, you know, the others are all finishing. And as this woman's coming around the bend, like no one with her, just the crowd, it was the highlight. It was what we got most passionate about that morning, was just the crowd got on their feet, just applauding this woman as she's, as she's coming around the track and finished to great acclaim. And there's, I think it's a great illustration of following God, actually. There's a lot in that about following God. You see, this discipleship journey we're on, folks, this following Jesus is not a sprint. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. In fact, it's several marathons, one after the other. Has anyone noticed that? I thought I got rid of that, dealt with that. And we probably don't feel the most competent, the most able runners. But I want to say this morning, if we will keep going, there is great acclaim. There is great honour and it's, God has ways of helping us keep going. In fact, that is the message of the book of Hebrews, really. It's an encouragement to perseverance, endure for them in the face of persecution. So let's have a look at the end of chapter 11. It's this chapter of faith, these wonderful men and women, heroes of the faith. And the writer has listed some and unpacked them. And then they say this. And what more shall I say? God bless your word to us now. I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received the promise. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And then we go into chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a, such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I wonder how you feel in the race this morning. Are you like, just ready to start off on the starting line and stuff? That was me warming up there. Or I wonder if you feel like you've been running for laps and frankly, you are worn out. I hope there's a word of encouragement to us this morning. So in Hebrews 12, it tells us about this cloud of witnesses. And just picking up, going back into Hebrews 11, because that is the witnesses. Those are the witnesses. There's a couple of, I think, encouraging aspects about those witnesses. Firstly, they were pretty unpromising people. That encourages me. They're quite unpromising, actually. Just that little list that he started off with, Gideon, he was like, Lord, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Barak wouldn't go into battle unless Deborah went with him. He was a scaredy cat. Samson. I mean, Samson. What is Samson doing in this list? Have you read the story of Samson? And the bloke is just uncontrolled passion. Like not good passion, just passion. Like base passion. The bloke's a womanizer. I mean, he's, he's, I mean, it doesn't say actually that he was a physical kind of wonderful specimen, but he's just chasing women left, right and centre. He shouldn't be doing that. Don't do that. Don't chase men either for that sake, but in fact, don't chase anyone you're sure the Lord does not want you to be chasing. Okay, just don't do it. Stop it. Just please stop it. Samson, though, he gets in the list. That's the point. What's he doing in the list? That really encourages me. Really, not because I'm chasing him. (laughs) Jesus' name. I can stand before you and say I'm not doing that, okay? I'm not doing that. I'll come back, though, to looking after leaders. Anyway. I'm encouraged. James 5, 17, Elijah. You know, Elijah, I want to die, Lord. Get me away from it. Was a man... A woman, if you like, just like us. He was just like us, fault-ridden, wanted to give up. And God used him. That encourages me. I wonder if the Lord's had you conscious of your fault lines this week, even this week. My experience is every now and again, God lets me, lets my fault line rip open and I stuff up somewhere. And I kind of go, yeah, actually, Lord... My publicity may look good, but it's not true, is it? And we start to believe our own publicity about ourselves. And God just has a way of humbling us, unpromising people. Secondly, we're each on a particular path. They were each on a particular path. Hebrews 12.1 again, it says, let's run the race marked out for us. I will come to that. It is relevant, honestly. It's not just a cute picture. The writer says, let's run the race marked out for us, the race appointed for us. You see, God has a specific chosen course. He had it for these 
guys in Hebrews 11. Did you notice? Now, which camp do you want to be in? Some conquered, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the flames, escaped the sword. Some didn't. Some were put to death by the sword. Some went away around in caves and were destitute and ill-treated. You see, we all have our own journey, don't we? And mine isn't yours. And yours isn't mine. And here's the point. Don't look at others, compare and envy. That's what that is. Don't envy others. Because I want to say to you as a pastor, this is my experience. Usually, everyone has either got something going on behind the scenes or has had something going on or about to come into something going on. And you may look at others and think, God, if only I had that shiny life. And then you talk to that person and they start telling you about personality struggles or family struggles or work struggles. And you go, do you know what? We're all in the same boat. But we have a particular path the Lord has mapped out for us. So they're unpromising people and they've got a very specific path. So what are the encouragements here in Hebrews 12 to keep going? Well, firstly, the writer tells us, take a look around you. Take a look around you. There's this cloud of witnesses. Take a look around. We're surrounded by these witnesses. These are those who have gone before and they have witnessed to faith, to Jesus. And in that, they're now an example to us. But I think there's another sense in which some writers pick up on this. They are witnesses also in the sense, this athletic metaphor, this race running. Are they now witnesses in the stands cheering us on? I think there's a lovely thought if if that's right this is how Eugene Peterson in the message translates paraphrases these verses thanks James he says do you see what this means all these pioneers who blazed the way all these veterans cheering us on it means we better get on with it strip down start running and never quit no extra spiritual fat no parasitic sins Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. I don't know quite, I don't think any of us do, the interaction between this realm and and heaven, if you like, the realm where God is. But I think there's every chance that those in heaven see something of what's going on here. I think it's kind of sobering, but it's an encouraging thought. I wonder if you have relatives they're in heaven that have gone before. Do you know, however we got on with them and, you know, we families and we lose family members and they're not perfect, are, are they? But they're there now, absolutely pristine. And they are telling us, if they could, they would be saying to us, come on, keep going, it's worth it. It's worth it. As they're before the throne and they've had their reward, they're saying, come on, earn more reward, keep going. Maybe that will encourage us. So take a look around at these witnesses. We're told to throw off hindrances. I'm going to skate these couple a bit. Throw off hindrances, 12, Hebrews 12, 1 again. Throw off everything that hinders. The word is this idea of a weight. 
that we carry. There are things in our lives that may be good in themselves. They're just not for us now. Certain career paths, certain relationships, certain situations, certain desires in us. They're okay, but throw them off because they're not for you now. They're not wrong. They may not be wrong in themselves, but they're not for us now. Let's throw off hindrances. The writer goes on to say, let's disentangle from sin. The sin that so easily entangles. The senses, it's a, it's a word not elsewhere in scripture. It's, about, it's a word that has a connotation of something that just gets in the way and does it well. And the picture is of another competitor blocking our path. Well, let me tell you, we know, don't we? We've got an enemy who knows us and he's out to trip us up and he knows just what buttons to push. James 4, we're told, resist him and he has to flee. Draw near to God. That's what what the counter is, to draw near, press into God. So we need to disentangle from sin. But finally, and most significantly, the advice, the overall advice of this section is this. Let's look to Jesus. In our struggle to keep going, let's look to Jesus. Look at Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And again, that word to fix, it is turning from something to something. And I do just want to say this this morning. Are you living life without Jesus? Are you trying to run this race in your own strength? You may be a really good person. You may be a believer, you may not be. And I think maybe particularly for those of you who wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I want to encourage you this morning, turn to Jesus. Turn to him. He'll give you the strength to run this race. When you are feeling weary, worn out, you don't know the course ahead, you don't even know what race you're running, you don't know where the track goes, he'll give you strength. He'll lead and guide you. So turn to Jesus. He's the author, the pioneer. He's the one that originates things and he completes things as well. He completes faith. And again, there may be a a couple of connotations to this. The author and perfecter of faith. He instigated faith among his people. He has always led his people by faith. He originated faith and it ended on the cross. For him, that was his journey, his faith journey that took him to the cross. And it's the culmination of faith among us. It's the central event. And again, if you don't know Jesus, we'd love to help you understand the significance of the cross. What is it about the cross where Jesus died and took our sins? But also he's the author and perfecter of our faith. As I said earlier, all of us have got a race marked out for us. And you'll have come across these verses, Philippians 1, chapter, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, says this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I found those verses so encouraging of late, just as I've lurked and there's stuff going on knowing that he has a race marked out for you 
He will carry it on to completion. And I don't think that just means he'll, he'll get you through and get you to the end. It means if we cooperate with him, all his good purposes will come to fruition. It won't just be you'll hang on by the skin of your teeth and kind of still be a Christian when you pass away. No, it means he'll bring his work, his good and pleasing work to fruition in our lives. How else is Jesus an example we're to follow? Just a few things here. He says he endured the cross. It's a lovely word. It means patient waiting. Patient continuance. Are you in the midst of something and you're trying to get there and you're trying to run and it just feels like it's taking forever? Well, Jesus endured the cross He just kept going. He scorned its shame. You know, the cross, writers said, firstly, Roman citizens were not allowed to be killed on the cross. A writer called Cicero said a a Roman should not even mention the cross. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it, that we somehow have embraced the cross as a piece of jewellery. And it really is. I mean, people have said it before, haven't they? It's like wearing an electric chair. On a necklace. I'm not saying we shouldn't wear the cross, but it's kind of sanitized it. Christ endured the cross. There may come a time, friends, in this country when the cross will be shame for us. It will carry a stigma. Being a believer, being a Christian, I think it, it kind of feels a little bit like it's out there. But owning Christ, owning cross will be shame. Jesus scorned the cross. He endured opposition. The word's quite strong. It means hostility. Have you been in a situation where you've had to endure someone just being downright hostile? Like no no pacifying them. They're just hostile. I just wonder, can I just say, I just wonder going back to the, um, you know, uh, the betrayal barrier. Some of it may be that. You've been in situations with Christians and they've been hostile to you, and it goes back years, and somehow it's still in there. Forgive them today. Move on. Let God minister grace into that. And why was he able to do all that? He understood there was joy ahead. He understood there was joy. He understood there was a reward And I think one of the greatest joys for Jesus, and it comes out in John 15, and particularly his praying in John 17, was this. One of the greatest joys for Jesus was when Father, Son, and Church were united. I think we are Christ's joy. Winning us through the cross is part of his joy. For the joy set before him. Again, going back to glory and acclaim there will come a time we will get there with him and trials and tribulations and difficulties where we've been faithful we will be so pleased when we hung on in there because on that day the acclaim and the reward and the well done will make it worth it I want to say to friends here at this moment in time I don't know particularly that I've ever kind of quite seen quite as many things going on in the lives of our church family here. Sickness, real sickness, real trials, difficult situations. I want to say to you, brother, sister, and again, maybe 
ministering some of what Josh was saying in the worship earlier. Don't carry that yourself. Take his yoke upon you. Because his yoke is easy, his burden is light. It may not be that you're taken out of the situation. But it's really tough for you. Keep going though. Let him carry it. So in conclusion, there's no mistake, is there? Following Jesus is hard. I feel I need to say that again. Following Jesus is really hard. Let's not kid ourselves, brothers, sisters. It's tough. And that's, that's without outside persecution. These believers were facing persecution. I, think, I don't know whether I said this last week or last time I spoke. It does feel like preaching through Hebrews is not just flagging at this time for us the possibility that it may get tougher to be a Christian in this nation. I don't, it doesn't feel to me like in preaching through this, we're just flagging that as a possibility. I feel we're preparing ourselves for it. That's what it feels like to me as someone and one or two of our other preachers are nodding their heads. That's what it feels like to me. Well, that's, that's going to be tough. Obedient discipleship is tough. We're all frail flesh, as we've said. We're all pretty unpromising. Just to lighten the mood, take a look around you. Let's let's actually do it, just to break the... Take a look around you. How How promising are we? We're a bit unpromising. And we're seeing, aren't we? It is hard to keep going. It's hard to finish well. And friends, we see around us, don't we? Runners falling all the time. And our heart breaks when we see leaders falling. And some of us will be aware, you know, recent news. I mean, it happens all the time, but a recent news that kind of comes a bit close to us as a fellowship. I'm not saying in this town, it's not, it's not anyone in this town, it's no one in this church, but leaders falling. It's why I want to, I covet your prayers. We covet your prayers as leaders. Can I say, it puts the fear of God in me when I see, when I hear news of a leader that's fallen and you think, wow, but I mean, they were good. They were like, you know, they just seem to be doing so well and you just admired. It puts the fear of God in me. That's why it says in Scripture more than once, pray for your leaders. Got to. Got to pray for our leaders among us. Got to pray for one another. Because can I let you in on a secret? I know most of the leaders in this church and they got faults and they got fault lines. And we need to look after one another. We need to look after each other, actually. You know, Hebrews earlier, it says, and we've got to spur one another on to good deeds. And in this, brothers, sisters, between us, let's encourage one another to look to Jesus. To see him, see who he is, see what he can do in the midst of our situation and lean hard into him. Lean hard into him. 
Actually, we do have a lot of capable people in this church. But our capable capabilities sometimes can be our downfall because we start to trust them. Let's kind of keep one another humble a little bit. Let's love one another, bless one another. So that between us, we might even be a fellowship that is able to keep going. Amen. Amen.